Alright guys, here's another episode of the Daily CDs. I'd like to take this time to thank all the people who've joined my Patreon. I really appreciate that. And then also the guys who have joined the, my membership on my YouTube channel. Uh, all that really helps a lot. And also to uh, Value Pack, dog food. You know, I fed Value Pack before. I really thought it was good dog food. The hounds did really good on it. And uh, I'll be feeding it again here soon. Uh, I think it's really important that we support the companies that support what we do. Also to W Supply. Uh, they provide this platform for us to share our content. And uh, I want to thank them for that. Anyway, here's that episode. Enjoy. Well, now this is a, this is a hunt that took place in the swamps of Nayarit, Mexico. And the best I can remember, it is about 55, 56, 57, somewhere along in there. And John Vigory from Metairie, Louisiana, which is a, just a suburb of New Orleans, had come down to work for me. Now, the first time that he come, he come on a bar hunt just after he got out of college. Well, this was a, somewhere around two or three years later, and he had made a uh, a stint in the army. He'd been to the army and he came back, so he wanted to take a, a vacation for a while before he really put his nose to the grindstone to go to work. So he came down. And uh, now, this Donnelly outfit, he knew him because the boy Barney Donnelly, the old man's son, was about Sean Vigory's age. And they had went to school at the uh, University of Tulane in New Orleans. They'd went to school together, and they were pretty good friends. So, and then there was Barney Donnelly. So that would have made Barney Donnelly probably maybe 26 years old. And then there was Thorne Donnelly's wife, and I don't know how many times he'd been married, but he is about 65. And this new wife was 33, and they had a, a small son, but of course they didn't bring him with them. Then they had two photographers there, and he wanted to make a movie of a jaguar hunt. And these were high-paid photographers, and they had all kinds of fancy cameras and all the equipment to take a good, good pictures. And these photographers would go into the swamps and hunt with us, and carry their cameras or how natives carry them and they did take some good pictures and then we made a bunch of pictures around camp well the first jaguar that we caught was just in the first few days of the hunt had been down there calling and this old caller got the answer of a jaguar so we come back to our main camp and told me so we got up and away we went well his wife virginia and Barney Donnelly and these two photographers was all on the, all went. So we got out there and hit the tracks of this good big male jaguar that uh, was a good running track. And I weighed the dogs went, and I had a little old cur dog with them that they called a border collie. But seeing border collies after that, well, I doubted it. But he was a little black dog with fairly long hair. 
and a natural bobtail that is only about six eight inches long and long hair reaching down hanging down from that tail <clears throat> well sean vigor and myself and two mexicans went right after the dogs just fast as we could and uh sonny who was named ernest was with the donnelly party and uh and a mexican so the dogs made this bad lose and here come this gang well you know how hard it is to keep a gang quiet and i hurried over to them and gathered everybody up there and talked real low to them and i told them i said now listen y'all stand here in a bunch and don't you talk and stomp around you stay just as quiet as you can because the way that's acting here I believe that that Jaguar's getting ready to lay up because he's been everywhere and they can't line his tracks out of here. And so we were all standing there right in the bunch and a, and a little bit, but here come this little old cur dog. And he just had his nose down and us switching his tail and that long hair is just a jumping. And he smelt all around amongst us, and us are standing there, nobody said a word. And after a bit, well, he finally went over to a real thick clump that was probably 15, 20 feet around it. And he just dived in there and went to saying, rah, 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 bad. And I just whispered to them, I said, all of y'all stay here real quiet. And I had the Mexicans right with them, too. And I said, stay real quiet. I'm going over there and see what he's doing. I said he baited a turtle the other day so i walked over and it was real thick in there and i stuck my head in there and was trying to see if i could see anything and i just right easy to him i called him bobby and i just right easy to him i said bobby what are you doing and boy out on the other side where we couldn't see it come this jaguar and old bobby right at his heels and they hit a a little bunch of water there and you could tell by the way there's a jumping that one of these animals was lots bigger than the other one and bobby was a barking every time he hit the ground and way down through the jungle they went well and, um down a minute one of these mexicans run over there to me and says that is the tigre i said yeah i know it was now i'll bet that that thing was laying there and bound to to know that we were there because he wasn't over over 30 yards from us but he thought he was hid and he just wasn't going to come out of there he's just going to stay there well when those hounds heard bobby a running jump well they were probably 100 yards on down there a trailing around well here they come and i said well i can tell you in just a minute and when they got up there one of these hounds run around the this clump where this jaguar would come out of there and boy he bettered and the race is on well now most of the cur dogs like that are real good tree dogs but bobby wasn't too good at the tree now he had treed that jaguar himself but he hadn't started barking trees yet and the way when the hounds got down there well they hadn't no more than hit that tree till they all started barking and then just of course just a little bit while we were there and the jaguar was treed good and high and a good big tree and he was a fine specimen and so the these photographers then he wasn't trying to come out or nothing well 
they took a lot of pictures. And after everything, we got everything through, well, the Jaguar wasn't trying to come out or pretended like he was going to. Well, Virginia Donnelly was going to shoot Kitty. And I knew good and well, probably in my own mind, that she couldn't. So I got Sean Vigory off to one side, and I said, you stand right back here, a little behind us and to the left with your gun. And when I tell her to shoot it, and she raises her gun, you raise yours and take a good shot on that thing, and you shoot as, as quick as you can after she shoots. He said, all right. So we done that. And when the Jaguar hit the ground, well, he is dead. And she, uh, Virginia Donnelly looked at that Jaguar and just busted out just to cry. And she run over and grabbed me and laid her head on my shoulder and just said, I just think I killed such a beautiful animal. I said, well, now listen, gal, you can just wet my shoulder all you want to because I'm already wet from mud and water from my armpits on down so a little higher won't make any difference because I don't think I'm going to lose any tears over that jaguar. And so we took it on back to camp then, and then they took some more pictures. And then a few days then, well, we went down into a little fly camp from our main camp and got in there just as it was getting dark and just took the stuff out of our boats. We were in two boats, kind of our equipment and men in one boat and then the, the hounds in another one. And we were only going to stay there not over two nights, probably just one. So we just took one pack of dogs. And we could haul a little besides the dogs in that boat. So we got out and stretched up a fly and kind of fixed a little old camp up there. And then we started out to go calling. Well, this Barney Donnelly, well, he is a, wasn't in very good shape physically. So he was tired and he wanted to go to, he didn't want to go with us. So he went to bed. So Sean Vigory and myself, and now we had an old Mexican that went down there with us from Sinaloa, and then we were using the horn to do the calling. And he was, a, I think, the best horn caller that I ever heard call a Jaguar. He would get the, most, the best response. And we were in this boat, so we went out a ways with the motor, and then we cut it off and come up another stringer of water that run into this one down a ways and come up in and come to a good-sized lake that this stringer of water come in and then kind of went along one edge of it and then on up. So we were in this stringer of water and the edge of this lake. Now, this water is, is still and running so very slow that it makes no difference. There's practically no flow to it. So, <clears throat> it were uh, about in the middle of that stringer of water. Well, this old fellow was a calling and plumb up quite a ways from that lake, this male jaguar went to rolling. And oh boy, he really cut loose. And he wasn't too far. So, we just paddled on up a little ways and, uh, and stopped, right? Just where this stringer of water took off from this lake. 
and was a calling. And way across that lake after a bit, while we heard the birds begin to get up that is roosting on the edge of the water there, and just a flying in every direction. And we pretty well knew right then that they was flying up from that jaguar. And we expected him maybe to come pretty close to us, but we expected him to kind of circle that lake. Now that lake was probably at least 300 yards, maybe farther, on up to the edge of it from where we was a sitting. And the moon was a shining, the moon was a shining good, and it is pretty, it is bright, right overhead. Just about a full moon, or not been a full moon. And after a bit, I said, look. And we looked away out in that lake, and there, here come this jaguar. And you could see him pretty good, right in the moonlight. And he is coming right straight towards that boat. And so I whispered to them fellows, I said, listen, if that thing gets up close to this boat, and you guys move and wiggle and jump around, I said, when that jaguar leaves, I'm going to throw you out of this boat. Now you stay quiet. And so here he comes, and we watched him, and after a while, well, he kind of turned his course a little bit and just kind of come around the, the edge of that lake and in behind some uh, brush there, jungle that, well, it was just jungle just started, and we kept listening for him, thinking he was going to climb up on the bank. While all of a sudden, here he come right around that point, I headed right straight for that boat, and we was right sideways to him. And everybody, of course, was looking in that direction. And when we first seen him, he probably wasn't over 40 feet, 50 feet from us. And he hadn't seen that boat, I guess, at all, because he was really swimming. And that thing swam right up within 15, 20 feet to the side of that boat before he saw it. And he just stopped and turned sideways when just, and was just kind of bobbing up and down in the water and a looking at that boat, and you could even see the black knob on the end of his tail as it would come up and down in the water. And nobody moved one particle. And he just done that for quite a little while. Of course, well, I have no way of telling how long. And after a bit, he just kind of turned slowly and went to the edge of this stringer of water and climbed out on the bank. And and started on up, and we we sat there and listened at him, uh, walking up through there for quite a little ways. So then we just turned around, and we took that, uh, uh, went to paddling that boat way back down there as fast as we could, and when we got quite a ways down, while well, we started that outboard motor, and in a little bit, well, we was back in camp, and that was about 2.30 that night. And when we got to camp, well, some of these natives was up and they had a big fire going and then this Donnelly heard us a talking and he got up and we uh, was a telling about this Jaguar coming right up to us and about the race we was going to have in the morning and all that. And now in a minute right down, not very far from that camp, a Jaguar cut loose and he really did roar. And I said, that's the same one. That's the same one that we called up to us. And the Mexican says, no, it's not. Says, we got a good bunch of Jaguars in there, and that's not the same one. I said, I know good and well it is. I said, right straight from where that Jaguar 
was a roaring. If he come right straight across, we'd be right in line. And he's a looking for that other jaguar after we seen him. All oh, those Mexicans says that's not the same one. So we run out and, and jumped in the boat and went down just a little ways below camp. And this old caller called several times. And that jaguar never roared anymore. And then we came on back to camp and uh, and just as it was breaking day then, well, I said, I'll show you that that's the same jaguar, which I could have saved time by putting the dogs on the track right there. But we went back over and put our two main dogs on the track right where we saw him climb out after we had seen him. And boy, they took that track and they run it right straight up along that water for about two or three hundred yards. And then he had jumped in that stringer of water and swam it and was headed right for camp. And when they went out on the other side then, well, we turned the rest of them loose with him. I think we had eight. And away they went. Well, we just started that outboard motor and hurried back down and came up the stringer of water that uh, we was camped on. And just as we hit camp, here those dogs come. And they jumped in this water and, and he had crossed it, this stringer of water while we was camped. And uh, the, the, the dogs jumped in it and swam right across and picked his tracks right up. And after a bit, they just made a circle and came right back to where the, the, the jaguar climbed out. And they, ma they made another circle. And when they did, well, coming around on the same track, I said, catch them. They said, why? I said, because that jaguar has went in the water right exactly where he come out of it. And we're going to take them and take them back to the other side here and start them. So we caught them and just crossed over that stringer of water. And I turned old Tex out that I used a lot from a strike dog. And he was a good hound, and he picked it up right away. And when he run a little ways and balled several times, we turned them all loose, and the race was on. Well, this Barney Donnelly was out of condition so bad, although he was a right young feller, and had was known as quite a tennis player when he was going to college. And he couldn't keep up, and we finally went on and had to kill the Jaguar when he wasn't there, because we'd have never got him there. So then we took the Jaguar and went on back to our main camp and skinned it and got all ready. And the next day, the old Thorn Donnelly said, Now, let's make some pictures here today. And said, uh, We've really got enough Jaguars. What will come for? And uh, Barney Donnelly said, well, I want to try for another one. Well, well, we told him, all right, but we'll kind of rest in camp and make pictures tomorrow. And that was as hard to work about as something. We um, strung out that mic on about 300 yards of cord from the Jeep so it and couldn't hear the Jeep running because I had to keep it running to use that mic like that some way. But anyway, well... I took the feet off of these jaguars and tied them in a bunch and made a drag. And I started up there and I come down with this drag and come pretty close to the mic and then on down to kind of make the sound when the hounds was running 
away off, and then they get closer, and then they'd fade out. And so took those dogs up there to put on that, that uh, drag, and well, they wouldn't hardly, they hadn't been worked on drags, they wouldn't hardly run it, but I did get them to going. And here they come down through there, and I was running in behind them. Well, when they got to the mic, they kind of swung out a little ways from it, but uh, it sounded good, and then they went on out of hearing, and uh, so we finally got that made, and then the way we made of call, of sound of calling the jaguar. Well, now I would take a gourd and call far, not too far from the mic, and that was a calling him. And then I had a Mexican out there quite a ways off that would answer me, and uh, of course he could hear me a calling. Lots plainer than you could the jaguar when he answered, and that's the way we made that part of it. Well, making all that was quite a lot of work. So I told uh, Thorn Donnelly, I said, "Well, now we're putting out a lot of extra work on this hunt that we wouldn't on the ordinary hunt, and uh, here's what I, here's the extra money that I want out of this picture." I said, I want you to give me a, pic a copy of this picture to use for my own use to show my friends and all, and it certainly will not be used commercially. And I said, if you want to, you can write up something to that effect in writing, and I'll sign it. Oh, he said, no, I said, that's all right. I'm sure you wouldn't. Well, no wonder is he assured that I wouldn't, because uh, he never did give me a copy of that picture. Then a few years later, he died, and I'd never gotten a, a thing out of it. But about three years after this picture was taken, there's a fellow showed up, a phot photographer in the White Mountains up there from California, and he was uh, taking some pictures of the of the game there. And stayed there quite a while. And I got to talking to him, and he knew Thorne Donnelly. And, uh, of course, Thorne Donnelly owned that Donnelly Publishing Company that headquartered in Chicago. And, uh, and I'd heard that that is the big, biggest publishing company in the United States. So he told me, he said, I've seen some of that picture that was taken. And he said, I thought it was good. And he said he sold some of that footage to Walt Disney. And, uh, boy, I, of course, I was on the warpath, but I couldn't do nothing about it. Well, several years after that, then I was uh, telling uh, Sean Diggory about the way they done. And he run on to this Barney Donnelly, which was the boy that he went to college with. And was they were pretty good friends and told him about it. And he said, well, I'll see if I can't find that picture and send him a copy of it, and that's all that, that um, ever, all, that's all that happened. I never got a copy of the picture or anything out of it for all that extra work. Of course, I got, I got well paid for the hunt, all right. And uh, then the, when they was going to pull out the next morning, and a little of the stuff that they could, they'd loaded, and old, uh, Thorne Donnelly says, say, he says, I want to throw a party here in camp for these. 
for these natives is they've really worked their hearts out for us. And uh, he said, I went into town and I brought back several cases of beer and a case of whiskey. I said, now listen, Mr. Donnelly, I don't appreciate that. I said, I don't want these guys a drinking and a raising old cane here in this camp, especially when I have guests here. Now, I said, I wouldn't mind it so bad if they, if I didn't have any any clients and I didn't have any work really for them to do and I had Jaguars located for the clients that is coming and all that. And I said, I don't want to do that, so let's don't have anything like that. And, oh, he got mad and just blew the roof off. Says, all you are, Dale, you're just an old sore head. He said, now I want to show these fellows that I appreciate what they've done. And uh, I said, no. He said, yeah, I'm going to. Because that's all you are is just a big sore head. And I said, okay. And that is along in the middle of the afternoon. I said, where is that whiskey and beer? He says, it's sitting over there in my tent. So I run over to his tent, and I grabbed about a couple of cases of beer or three, I don't remember which, and I run over and cleared the big cook table off, and I set that beer up there, and I run and got this case of whiskey, which is four quarts in it, and I set it over there, and I yanked out two of those quarts, and I opened them, and I squall right loud. I said, everybody in camp, come here. And here they come. I said, boys, Mr. Donnelly is going to uh, give you a treat. He's going to throw a, a party here tonight, and we're going to start right now. So start drinking that beer and that whiskey. Well, I knew what was going to happen. And I turned around to Thorne Donnelly, and I said, listen, if some of these guys get really high and get drunk, and they throw you and your whole party into that stringer of water out there and drown y'all. Don't tell me that I didn't warn you, because I didn't want it. And so, oh boy, now they really did. They really did get on a tire. And a bunch of those Mexicans in just a little while was passed plum out. So we'd just drag them out there and lay them on a blanket and, and let them go. Well, this young wife of his, Virginia. He is 30, she was 33 years old, and he is 65. Well, she got as drunk as any of them. And after way in the night, well, we couldn't get her, we, we couldn't get her to bed. And now what I mean, that was a mess around that camp all that night. The next morning, well, oh boy, they're sick. And did they have hangovers, especially Barney Donnelly and his young stepmother. Now, he is 26, 7 years old, and she is 33. And I, I laughed at her one time old John Vigor is talking to Barney and says, your mother. And oh boy, this old girl blew up. She said, I'm not his mother. Sean said, well, you're his, you're his stepmother. She said, well, that don't make any difference. I'm certainly not his mother. And that tickled me. I stand there listening to it, and I laughed. Well, anyway, I didn't get them away until that afternoon sometimes because they were so sick I couldn't get them to going. 
but I had to get them out of there because in just right in just a day or so to get ready for another party, I had another another party of clients coming, so I had to get them out of there. So I finally got them to leave that afternoon, and I don't imagine they went very far because they headed back for California with all their with their vehicles and all that. I imagine they stopped at the first good motel or hotel that they could find that amounted to anything and stayed there for a while until they could finally recuperate from their big party and the jaguar hunt. Well, now, I, my older brothers had had hounds, well, ever since I was a little bitty feller, and I was always interested in them. But their hounds didn't amount to anything. And we would go out at night around Paradise there and go hunting, and that was when I was eight, seven, eight years old, nine. And naturally, well, I'd get sleepy. Well, I'd go to sleep, and sometimes they'd slip off from me and then wake me up, and I was more or less afraid of the dark. And, of course, they'd, then they'd scare me and scare me in every way. But when their kids grew up, they was telling me not to scare them. It wasn't good for children. I said, yeah, I know. I pretty well know that. And I said, that's what y'all figured when I was growing up, and you scared me all the time. And now you've got kids, but oh no, I'm not supposed to scare them. But anyway, as I grew up, well, <clears throat> always had some dogs. So the first dog that I had, I got up big enough that I could take care of the rest of the dogs. So here's the way I got my first hounds, and here's the way I started my pack when I was, I was then probably, oh, somewhere around 13 years old, 14. And we had quite a few dogs there, and I had to take care of those dogs, clean the pens, feed them and water them for a year for a pup. And when I started, this pup was just born, and I picked him out of a litter. So all right then, right after the year was up and the pup was mine, well, Ernest and I got into an argument about the color of a horse. Well, of course, I did we were going to have a bet. Of course, I didn't have anything to bet except that pup. So I was wanting another pup, so I bet him this pup against another one. And naturally, I lost my pup. And let me tell you, he didn't give him back to me either. And just about three months after I lost him, well, he sold him. Then, somewhere, I don't have any idea where, he brought in two spotted dogs that looked like there's walkers, this body, that color anyway. So these two dogs about two years old. So I liked one of them pretty good. So I had to work another year to get this spotted dog. And I did. I took care of the dogs for another year and done all the work of them. And when I got this dog then, well, I was getting up into... 16 years old, I guess, probably. And he made a fire dog, but he never did make a real good dog. And then after I got some more, there's a lot better than he was, well, sold him. I have no idea, remember, what in the world I got for him. But anyway, well, that's, that's the way that I started with my, to get my pack of hounds. 
and that is a pretty hard goal because I, I thought I put out up quite a, a lot of work. <clears throat> well, now, I was 13 years old when I saw my first line, and we had a, some pretty fair hounds. Ernest did. And, of course, I only had that one that uh, I'd worked for, and then I'd lost him, and I hadn't. I hadn't got the other one then, the spotted dog that I got later and had to take care of the dogs and do all ever all the work for them for another year for this other dog. So then I didn't have a hound. But anyway, this rancher there was a riding, oh, I imagine it is at least six miles from paradise. And he was a punching cattle and he was a a doggone rustler is really what he was because he done lots of riding at night. And he really rustled and stole two fortunes and then just went through with both of them. But anyway, he'd been over there. His name was Fitch Wilson. And, of course, he lived right there not too far from us, and we knew him real well. Well, he had found a yearling, which was a big yearling steer over killed in what was called Iron Springs Canyon. And he said it was killed that night. And the lion had ate on it just once and it tried to cover him up. And he said, now I'm sure that that lion's going to come back and eat on that, that urine. So Ernest said, well, listen, would you go with us early in the morning and over there and show us that kill so we can be sure and find it? without having to look for it. He said, well, sure I will. So Bill Lee was there, and he wanted to go with us. So I was going to school. And oh, when I heard about that, I just pleaded and begged and and all so hard that they finally decided to let me take the day off from school and go with them. Well, they let me take the day off from school, and so early the next morning, we saddled up, and away we went. There was Ernest and Bill and Fitch Wilson and I. <clears throat> well, it took us a good two hours to get to this kill in this Iron Springs Canyon, which was uh, about six, at least six miles through the mountains from Paradise. Well, when we rode down to that kill and looked at it, well, Pitch Wilson says, well, he's eight on it again. And uh, boy, those dogs picked that track up. And evidently, the line had left there about daylight because that track was fresh. And they did get on the right track. And away they went, and they trailed down a little ways. And that old line evidently had got him a drink of water out of this little canyon that's running a little stream. And then went up in some bluffs, and they were small bluffs, and they weren't up there over 200 yards. And these dogs trailed up into this bluff, and out this line come, and them right in behind him, but we didn't see the line, or the dogs either one. And down the canyon they went, and they didn't go over 200 yards down this canyon, and they just run up on a little point there and started to bark and treed. <clears throat> And we went down there close and jumped off and left our horses, and away we went down to that tree. And uh, I, knew, I never did forget what that tree looked like. And 20 years later, I was in there uh, 
hunting and right in that same area and thought about that. And I went by and found that tree. Because it, I remembered just exactly what it looked like and exactly the point that it was on. And now let me tell you, for a 13-year-old boy that loves hunting, that was the greatest thrill to me that I'd ever had. So I run up on the hill and sat down and was just, just thrilled to death. And I'm looking at that line, and he was a good big male line, and I'm looking at him, and they were all down there at the foot of that tree. And after a while, Ernest looked around, and he didn't see me. So he hollered and said, uh, Come on, Dale, says, uh, this line's up this tree, and says, he's a good one. And I answered him up on the hill. I said, here I am up here on the hill. I said, I'm a getting a real good look at him. And I said, and it's a great thrill to me. And he said, well, why don't you come on down here? I said, well, I'm a lot safer up here than I am down there, because if he comes out of that tree, he's going to have to run up that, this hill to ever catch me. And, of course, they all laughed about that. And I just decided right then it would be my, about my greatest ambition of life is when I grew older, if I could get just to get a pack of hounds of my own and tree some of those lines, it would be the greatest thrill that a boy could have. And I accomplished that because I went on and got to be the, about the most noted guide that has ever hit the United States in the 19th century. Well, then a, a, a year or so later, maybe it was two years, <clears throat> well, the, we then bought the best pack of hounds that we'd ever had. It was old Bull was one of them, and he was the best dog in the pack. But he was getting up in years. Now, he was a... I'd call him a yellow hound, but he had red tick markings on him from, his legs were red tick, and they kind of run up on his shoulders, and then they run high, pretty high on his hips, too. And he was, had good long ears and a good head, and just a well-built hound. And then we got two of his pups that were about six months difference in their age. One of them was a, a blue tick, and they said she, he was out of a blue tick female. And then one of them was a black and tan. And they said that his mother was a black and tan. And we got those three. Now we got them from a, a sheriff that had, had came out from Beeville, Texas. And he'd been a sheriff down there. And so they made him the sheriff of that, of that county in New Mexico, Silver City. I've forgotten the name of that county. I believe it's Hidalgo, but I don't remember for sure. But anyway, well, he got interested in lion hunting and hunted some, and he caught, and he bought this pack of hounds from an old biological survey hunter that was a quitting, and he got too old. His name was Jack Thompson, and he always hunted a foot. And this old Jack Thompson had hunted quite a little with old man Liddy. And anyway, they were well-trained, good pack of hounds. And uh, Ernest then throwed the best ones that he had with them and went to doing quite a lot of lion hunting and caught quite a few lions in there. But I was always in school or something, and they wouldn't let me go. So 
then we went to kind of uh, uh, dealing in dogs some, and we got lots of renegade hounds. But you cannot tell if a hound's going to be a good hound for that kind of work by just taking him out two or three times. Sometimes we'd get what we thought was a good prospect, and maybe we'd hunt him for six months and once in a while a year before he had really showed what he was going to do. Well, we got a, we made some good hounds out of a lot of them, but a whole lot of them never did amount to much, and when we'd see that he wasn't going to make, well, then we'd get rid of him. Some of them would make fire hounds, but not as good as we thought they ought to be. And that's more or less the way we started. And then that, uh, when I was 17 years old, while we bred old, old uh, bull to a, what, we, what they called a, a, a bloodhound. She was kind of a brindle dog and came out of the farms that they're using for man traders. Uh, and that's where the, the, the state uh, prison was. And uh, that was a great cause. Well, before we knew how good really the pups was, we needed money and all of that, and we got a good, a good buy for old bull from a line hunter in Oregon. And he was old then, probably 10, 11 years old. And we shipped him up there. Well, then we found out how good that litter was, so we shipped old queen, that, that was her name, up to be bred to bull again. But the fellows up there later on when I was up there told me that old bull was in poor condition and that he bred her, but she never caught. So that's the only pups we ever got out of that cross. And then old bull was, had been in over a hundred lines, I believe it was 102, when we shipped him up there. And after we shipped him up there, he was responsible for 38 lines. So Dale Bonney wrote us, and he's a line hunter that bought him. When we were way up there in, you'd call it north, north central part of New Mexico, not too far from the Colorado line, and right close to that Hickorya, Apache Hickorya Indian Reservation. Well, I, I didn't know the country, but uh, they described it to me and all, and uh, I believe maybe we had some Forest Service maps of it. But anyway, I knew just about my day's ride down there, there was an old fellow that had a ranch down there. So I told Clell, I said, well, I think I'll saddle up early in the morning, and I think I'll go down there and see if I can stay at that ranch for two or three days and see if I can bring back any lines and take a look at the country and see how much I find anyway. And that was in January, and what I mean, it was cold. I know it was a lot of the time way below zero. So I did, and now I had quite a pack of dogs. I had one little red tick female that was three and a, uh, two and a half, two and a half years old. Then I had uh, a red tick male that was a year and a half. And then I had another 
blue tick male that the red ticks run high on him, and he was had red tick and blue tick both in him, and his back was blue tick, and his legs were red tick way up onto his body, and then his head was uh, a tan color, and he was a year and a half old. So you can tell that I had a, a pack that couldn't have been too experienced because it wasn't old enough. But anyway, well, I made this ride, and I'd found some bobcat tracks, but no line tracks on the on the way down there. But I wouldn't try to run those bobcats because I knew that was going to be a day's ride to get there. So I found I, I found my way all right. And late that evening, well, it was about dusk, between sundown and dusk, I rode up to this house. And this old feller heard his old ranch dogs are barking. He come out. I rode up with these hounds and got off and introduced myself. And uh, I said, listen, I said, I'd like to stay a day or two and and see if I can find any line signs. And I produced a letter of recommendation from a far service guy. And I handed him this letter to him, and he read it, and it didn't impress him a bit. And the way he acted, I thought maybe he wasn't going to let me stay. And that kind of worried me, because I knew if I went back, I'd be riding all night through that bitter cold weather. And my horse had made an awful ride that day, and of course my dogs had traveled a long ways. And so I went to kind of pleading to him. I said, well... Listen, I've forgotten his name, but I said, Mr. So-and-so, I said, I've rode long ways today. And I said, uh, naturally, my horse is tired and my dogs are tired. And uh, a lot of the places, there's quite a lot of, there was snow all over the ground. Some places is pretty deep. And he said, well, he said about six or eight months ago, says Albert Pickens was in here and he was another government hunter and a much older man than me and much more experienced lion hunter. And he said Albert Pickens was in here and uh, he uh, hunted in here for two weeks and never caught a lion. And I said, well, mister, I don't claim to be any such a lion hunter as Albert Pickens. And he'd also told me, he says, Albert Pickens is the best lion hunter the state of New Mexico has got. I said, I'm not telling you that I'm the lion hunter that Albert Pickens is. But I said, I'd just love to make a few circles here and see if I might pick up a line track. And finally he said, well, go, come on, let's go up to the barn and put up your your horse and dogs and uh, we'll feed them. So I went up there and he opened this barn door and a big old Tom House cat run out and these three hounds killed it before I could stop them. Well, that didn't sit well with him. He got kind of mad over that. And uh, so then we tied our dogs in there and, and put the horse up. And we fed the dogs and the horse and went on back down to the house and didn't sit around the fireplace. He had a big fire in it for a little while and talked. And then we went to bed. Well, golly, I got up early the next morning and I just paced the floor. Because, oh, I was wanting to go. Well, they took their 
sweet time of getting up. And they finally got up, and of course, I didn't want to leave without any breakfast. So they cooked breakfast, and I ate right quick, and to run up and, and leave. And, my, and I already had my horse saddled up, and was ready to go, and his wife there had me a lunch, and she handed me this lunch, and I grabbed it, and I broke a run, and run up there and jerked on my chaps and spurs as fast as I could, and, and I had my old gun sitting in the corner back there in the barn, and I run and grabbed that old gun and shoved it into the scabbard and turned those three hounds loose, and I put I, I looked to see there wasn't any more house cats around there. I didn't want them killing any more of their cats and pulled out. Well, now, this ranch set in a little valley kind of in a rincon. And a rincon means that uh, it's kind of flat on top with a rim around it. And I wanted to get up on that rim. And he had kind of told me how to go to get up on that rim. But that night, I forgot to mention this, it is about dark it started snowing and it had snowed till about nine or ten o'clock and then quit well that meant i was going to have to just about hit a line track that had been made since nine or ten o'clock that night without being kind of snowed out but anyway well i started around this rim and these dogs picked up a fresh bobcat track and away they went and i finally got them off because i didn't want to run no bobcat and I took them off and went on around that rim for a long ways, and it's getting a long ways from that ranch. And it began to get kind of late in the, late in the evening. <clears throat> and I come on to an old road that kind of crossed this a big mesa there and come into the into this kind of big swale that this ranch is in way back down there. And so I didn't know the country, so I thought I'd ride back along that road a ways and take a look and see where it went. So, and the snow was deep. It is up to my horse's knees or deeper. And these dogs had been uh, traveling a lot, and uh, they were more, uh, they was bound to be tired. So they had got back behind me and was coming along while I broke the trail with my horse. And I'll bet I hadn't went 300 yards on this old road and right there was the tracks of two lines across in that road, and they had made it since it quit snowing. And I made up my mind right there, I was going to gather those lines, or I was going to lay down and stay and get off my horse and stay in that snow that night. But I had plenty of matches and everything with me, and I figured that some way I could get a fire started, and there was quite a lot of timber around there, and some of it was timber that dead, pinyon and pine and stuff that is uh, that you can build a fire with easy. And I figured I could get this fire started if I had to lay out that night. So I didn't say a word. I just sat there. And these dogs come around me then, and boy, they hit those two line tracks, and they went to bawling, and they just went down through there, and they took the right end of them, and down kind of across this mesa they went. And boy, I was a right after him on that little horse, and he was a good one. And the snow was just a was just a flying. Well, I imagine after about oh, I imagine a half a mile, 
and the dogs weren't very far ahead of me when they were running, and I was running too. They dropped off into kind of a, a canyon, and right there close to this canyon, to where I was dropping off into it, <coughs> there was a, a little point. It, it, while another canyon come off, kind of a little point. And these dogs beat me across this canyon, and up on that point they went, and they just doubled right back. Down and, and kind of went down, and boy, they were running. And uh, I turned right after them, and they run by a great big tree and crossed the track, and they went to circling trying to pick it up. And I rode under this tree and was watching them. Now, in a minute, I just looked up above me, not over 15, 20 feet up there, set one of these lines. Now, th this was an old female and a young female that was still running with her, but almost as big as she was. And I just jumped, fell off of there and grabbed my gun, and these dogs run back, and they found the tree, and they didn't bark a half a dozen times till I knew I had to hurry. I just shot that line out of that tree, and it fell in the snow, and these dogs just pulled it and chewed on it just a little bit, and I jumped on my horse and told those dogs, I said, let's go, there's another one, and we want to catch it. Well, they acted just like I knew what I said to them, and they just wheeled and back up on that point they went. And in just a few minutes, well, they had this other track just going full tilt, and within a quarter of a mile, and it circled back into the same canyon that this one was in, where the tree did. And I just went up there and just got off of my horse and shot that line out, and I let them chew on this one for quite a little while and just left it laying in the snow and said, come on, hounds, let's go. And I was just tickled to death. So I didn't ride into that ranch till about 11 o'clock that night. I think it is 11 when I looked at the time. And it was cold. Oh, boy, it was cold. Of course, I had on good clothes, good heavy clothes, but I was cold anyway. And, uh, the only ones, the only guy, person that is still up at the ranch was this old man. He was sitting in there at the fireplace, waiting to see if I was going to come in. And uh, he heard me up at the barn, and here he come. And he come up and said, uh, didn't find any line tracks, huh? Well, I said, I never said I didn't find any line tracks. He said, did you find any line tracks? I said, yes, I did. And I was so proud, I was going to just make him question me for all his words, just kind of like pulling a tooth. And he said, didn't catch him, huh? I said, he says, didn't catch the line, huh? I said, I didn't say I didn't catch it. I said, I just want to know if you would do me a favor in the morning. He said, what kind of a favor do you want? I said, I want to know if you'll loan me a pack horse. Pack horse says, what do you want with the pack horse? I said, well, I didn't do anything like as good as I thought I would. I said, uh, I expected to catch at least four today. But I said, I couldn't do that. But I said, I did get two. He looked at me and he said, do you mean to tell me that you caught two lines today? I said, yes, sir, I caught two lines today. And I intend to go back after them. Well, he said, I won't only loan you a pack horse. But I'll go back and help you load them and bring them in. I said, well, I'd sure appreciate that. That that'd sure be good.
So we got up fairly early the next morning and pulled out, got back up there, and of course these lines just kind of crumpled up in that snow, and they are just froze just hard as a doggone rock. Well, anyway, we finally got them around there, and we got them up on this old pack horse, and we packed them back, of course. That was in the afternoon we got back, and I told him, I said, well, I've got to throw these lines out some way so I can skin them, because I'm going to pull out of here in the morning, and I want to skin these lines so I can take the hides with me. I'll leave the meat here with you. He said, well... I'll feed my dogs a little bit of that line meat this afternoon because I don't figure on running any, running them tomorrow till I get back to that other camp, to main camp. And he thought a while, he said, well, the only way we can throw them out is to bring them in here by the fireplace. So I said, well, if you got a tarp, we could lay them on and kind of turn them around and around and throw them out there by that fireplace so I can skin them. He said, well, I've got a tarp. So he went and got a tarp, and we laid it down in front of the fireplace and had a big fire in it. So I sat there and would turn these lines and finally thawed them good enough to lock could skin them, and then that was a hard job because it's a whole lot easier to skin an animal soon after it's killed than it is to leave it, and especially when they get froze. But anyway, I got the hides off of them. And I, it was cold weather, and there wasn't no salt there to salt them or anything, but I just rolled them up because I knew as cold as it was, they wouldn't spoil. So I just rolled them up. Well, the next morning then I started out, and I rolled these two line hides up and tied them on behind my saddle. And, of course, I was just as proud as a boy could be. And got on my horse and turned my dogs loose and I rode down and this old man is out to see me leave and I said, well, good goodbye, mister. Called his name and I said, I sure, sure do appreciate your, your hospitality. And I looked at him and I said, say, by the way, I said, the first time you see Albert Pickens, I said, I wish you'd tell him to come around and see me so I can give him a few pointers on how to catch a line. And I just turned and looked up, and looked up there and hit the road and I never looked back. Of course, I've never been back to that ranch since and never seen any of those people since.